And welcome to Pantless Pros. Take your pants off. Put your undershirts on. I'm Jordan. And I'm Carly. And today we're doing a little book club action. Woo! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we read The Maltese Falcon. Yeah, book clubs aren't just for bored housewives anymore. No, they're for a uh, bored housewife and a mischief maker like myself. I'm a housewife now? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I'm just going to call you Angel Bunch. Okay, sounds good. In true Samuel Spade fashion, I finished the book moments before we turned on the microphones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He'd be very proud of me, I think, because oh, he wraps sure. it up nicely at the end. I thought I'd do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. It's very classic noir. Keep you guessing until the very end. Exactly. Is he going to finish the book? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to do. So uh, I had never read it before. This is my first time being introduced to it. I had not, I've not really read a lot of detective noir books. And this is the epitome of it, I understand. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is a very, um, this is one of the ones that's definitely a go-to book. Um, It's very famous because it is a movie as well. Um, Mm. It was made into a 1941 movie with Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart. As Sam Spade. Yeah, it actually came across my desk at school. Do you feel cool saying came across my desk? Right uh, yeah, there? that's why I said it. Because it it's like, like detective right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and uh, we we did some study on it and just mostly Spade as a character was the big thing. Uh-huh. And how, whether or not we can trust him as a narrator, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. Because Yeah, definitely. Um, first off, the book reminded me of the movie Drive. Okay. Where, like, the characters just kind of speak for themselves through actions. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot of, like, thought that goes into it. It's just, like, pure action-based. Okay, so yeah. So it reminded me a lot of the movie Drive. Okay, and that's an interesting, because that has been, a, that has been a, um, a critique of it, is that it's, it's very um, based on action. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, especially Spade as a character, because he's got... His wolfish grin and his yellow eyes. And, and he like, created the archetype of the detective, mm-hmm. which went on to lead the detective noir genre. Like, this archetypal character came from Sam Spade. Mm-hmm. He's very... Uh, Sam Spade is, is the pinnacle of uh, of the noir detective, for sure. And I read uh, a quote from the author saying that he just made him up. Mm-hmm. Because the author actually was a private detective for a while. He was, yeah. And he made Sam Spade the vision of what every private detective sees himself as. <laughs> Not oh. that they amount to that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But what sure. they see themselves as. He made Sam Spade that. Yeah, for sure. I That's safe to say. So, um, yeah. So, it's, uh, it's a good read. It's very, very quick read. And, um, well, I don't want to spoil the ending, so... No, well, it's a book club, so I feel like we're going to spoil the ending. Yeah. Like, for both of our short stories in our last episode, we spoiled the endings. That's so true. So, I feel like if you're listening to this, we are going to spoil books Okay. So, yeah. we haven't talked about it since you finished it. So, what did you think of the ending? Well, let's get to the ending later. Okay. But I want to start 
off with what like sunk me into the book when I first started reading All right, it. All right, let's start there. It up. Let's start there. Just kind of picked it up and started reading it before we flew out to Alberta, and I couldn't put it down. And then when we were in Alberta, I didn't really get a chance to read it, but um, it was the description of Spade, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like him getting described as Satan right out of the gate kind of surprised me and threw me for a loop like i said i've never read detective noir so i've never dug into it mm-hmm. i know like the stereotypes have seen it i know what it's about but like yeah i never really dug into one authentically mm-hmm. so him being this detective who i always sort of envisioned as being this like moral character maybe a little gritty maybe he needs to, he does what he needs to do to get by you know yeah seems that way right <laughs> but like I always envisioned him as like this overarching moral character who always stuck to his moral compass. His moral compass was always pointed at good, but then they describe him as Satan right out of the gate. Yeah. Which is amazing because that goes to, as you go through the book, you start to see why they described him as Satan. Because Satan's very devious. He's always playing everybody. He kind of knows what's going on, but pretends like he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And... uh at one point was Lucifer is like a fallen angel. I've never read the Bible. If we did a podcast about it, I'm sure I'd finish it the moment before we started. <laughs> but uh <laughs> fifty years later. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. you know, he, he kinda reminds me of Satan and like it's interesting because he knows what's going on the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's always kind of a couple steps ahead of everybody else mm-hmm. and he uses deception to basically mirror that fact. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want people to know that he knows more than he does. Mm-hmm. He wants to put up a smoke screen and make you kind of think he's this dumb character who's just kind of going with the motions. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that Satan made people eat the apple of knowledge, Spade's giving people knowledge too mm-hmm. at the end of it where he's like wrapping it up and he's like reporting them to the police and stuff like that. He knows more than he makes you think that he does. Mm-hmm. But that was like the first thing that got me into it. And then just like the hook of how it's written so dramatically, like they really sink you in. Oh yeah. It's like watching a movie. Oh yeah. And uh, which is probably why they were able to so closely mirror the movie. Yeah, for sure. But the part when, so we are going to spoil this. So if you haven't read it, <laughs> sorry, uh, I mean, it was written in the twenties. <laughs> Yeah. So I feel like I don't feel bad about spoiling it really. And I think it's such a part of culture that it's like one of those things where you probably know what happens anyway. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Dorothy goes and sees the wizard and he's fake. So there Are you, you serious? go. Yeah. He's a fake. He's a frog. What? He's a man behind a curtain. I'm That's sorry. on my watch list. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Oh. Um, sorry. <laughs> I was going to bust out a Super 8 camera. It's like Rogue One, one all over again. Yourself. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, what was I saying? He, uh, oh yeah, how, like, S- Miles gets killed, his partner gets killed, like, right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And instead of, like, being sad about it or letting himself grieve for his partner, which you find out that he didn't really like him anyway, but at the beginning you think that they did because they have, like, this rapport when they're in the office and stuff like that. And uh, once his partner gets killed, the first thing that he says to his secretary, who's amazing, Effie yeah. Perrine. Effie's sweet. Um, he says, scratch his name off the door, make it Sam Spade. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's so, it seems so heartless and cold. Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that he was so heartless and so cold and so, like, callous is what drew me into the character, like, right out of the gate. Because I didn't expect that from a 
detective. No, for sure. And it's interesting, too, because the way that we'll get into this, I'm, we'll get into it more later, but I wanted to bring it up while we're on the topic of Spade being weird and creepy and devilish. Yeah, go ahead, Angel. But <laughs> Oh, thanks. Um, but the fact that it's a third person narrative and he's being described as as such, but as you said before, he's like every detective wants that like would perceive themselves to be. Mm-hmm. So would it be different if we saw it through his eyes of like, oh, you know, I'm great. And then on the other side of the coin, someone looking in, it's just like, oh, Samuel Spades of like Satan, basically. I think it would take from it because I think a large portion of the book is about people being defined by their actions and mm-hmm. not so much their words. Yeah. Because everybody in the fucking book lies constantly. Oh, yeah. So anything that anybody says in the book is just, it's just whitewashed. It's nothing. It means mm-hmm. nothing. No, for sure. Whitewashed? Is that racist? What does that mean? Whitewashed means that you basically, well, there's two definitions of whitewashed. <laughs> whitewashed, it, there's the whitewashed where you just like completely whitewash over something yeah, so, so that, it kind of that would be what just, I yeah like exactly it just, it's all nothing and then the other term the other term is well like the cast of friends yeah, yeah. Whitewashed. <laughs> whitewashed to quote a very modern sitcom yeah friends has been off the air for what 20 years <laughs> yeah. not gonna stop quoting it no definitely not so How yeah that's what you <laughs> so that's that's what what could i be any more adorable <laughs> <laughs> no I think Chandler Bing should have been Sam Spade. <laughs> I think if they did a movie now, they should have made really? Chandler Bing Sam Spade. That would have been interesting. Yeah, it would have been great. I think he would have been more of an archer, the cuckolded husband. Yeah, maybe very yeah. so. I, if I had to, uh, if I had to like list every character as the friends characters, I would put Ross as Archer. Yeah. Uh, and I would put. Uh, Maybe Joey is Spade, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Because he's like, he's getting around mm-hmm. quite a bit. Spade oh, seems to is. do very well with the ladies. Yeah. And then Chandler would be Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I would say Rachel would be Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Mm-hmm. Monica would be Effie. Yeah, I think Phoebe would be Effie. But Effie's got it together. That's like she's true. She's organized and she's like, she's kind of this like motherly force to Sam Spade. But Phoebe's very like, I know, like she figures shit out. Phoebe would be Gutman. Phoebe would be Gutman, <laughs> yeah. He's like eccentric, he's kind of nuts. That's very true. I like that better. Yeah. yeah. So now we're talking about friends. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's a good... Uh, that's a good drawing because I mean that's these these were meant to be burned through super quickly, right? That's oh, yeah, why they're totally so short. And um, <laughs> yeah, so in the ending, what did you think of the ending? I'm gonna keep asking you until you tell me. I loved it. It was like, like the very ending. Are you talking about? Because I know you have like a beef with the very ending, but the twists and turns and stuff that it took me on, I, I liked. No, I mean the fact that the Falcon isn't real. Sorry. Well, we said we we're going to spoil it anyway, but, uh, well, no, I liked that. That it was like just this wild goose chase and it just ended up being like a fake. Yeah. Because justice was served anyway. 
Yeah. The people who went through all these motions and all these like terrible acts to get this bird. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a, I, I really do think it's a, a critique on social greed. So okay. I think it's like they're chasing this thing and they're willing to murder people for it. And it's all this like wild goose chase, like you put it, for this this symbol of wealth. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's meaningless and it gets nobody anywhere except dead and in jail. Yeah, that's true. So they're endlessly pursuing things. But at the end, they don't make anything off of it. No. They're, they're killing people for it. They're travel- they want to travel the world for it. They're, they're like backstabbing each other for it. And that's greed in a corporate world. Yeah. And I think you're seeing that at this time in the 20s as well, you know, with the boom from World War One ending mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like the greed and the divide between the classes is really real at this point. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing a social commentary on that, saying that, like, you can endlessly pursue this stuff. But in the end, it's all fake. It all doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But Spade gets his guy in the end. So. But Spade gets justice. Mm-hmm. But justice is something that's more tangible to the author, I think. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, Which we should should say is Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. Dashiell Hammett. But, He's uh, written a couple of other books. But this one is the one. And Spade's appeared in a couple of the other short stories, right? I think so. So what do you feel about the ending? Because you've been okay. bringing it up nonstop. Well... Well, I just wanted to know no, because we've happy. never... T- yeah, well, yeah. We, listen, we need to talk about the ending. We've I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah, we've never talked about the ending. Okay, so the ending, as we know... Which I'm surprised you didn't spoil for me, by the way. Bridget did it. Everybody dies, Rogue One. Yeah, everybody dies, Bridget did it. And I'll get into this now because what I was going <laughs> to talk about because Great. it's going to be good. All right. Um, so... Wait, so did you like the ending? I did like the ending, but it's just like, it was like, yeah, he gets his guy, but then you just feel like, okay, well, so I just read this entire book <laughs> for what? But now that I think about it, like that we've gone into it and we've deconstructed it, it makes more sense. But when I first read it, I was like, so what was the whole point? You know? Mm-hmm. And now when I think about it, it's, you know, it, the whole book is kind of in and of itself in a way in that like everything does get tied up at the end mm-hmm. you're you've you've the tie like the whole thing is the maltese falcon has just been basically the vehicle for the entire thing it, and then it just ends up being like okay mm-hmm. but everything happened the way that it was supposed to happen so whatever right yeah i just thought it was a good symbol for greed yeah oh for sure yeah. no for sure and just even the fact that you know and the thing about it is too is that the falcon was based off of a real thing yeah which oh, is really? kind of interesting and this is what le- this is what led me on my little journey because the falcon was based on a real statue um it was a very old statue from uh i'll have to pull up the year what's kind of cool too is that the even san francisco Mm-hmm. is based on a real city called San Francisco that nobody knows about. It's like this weird city. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty- San Francisco, the- he uses real streets, and I think he used real hotels and businesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's this map that you can find online that like leads you through all of the characters, like where all the crimes happen and stuff. So you can actually look at a map of San Francisco and map out the Maltese Falcon as you go through, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that's so cool to take a real city and be able to visit the spots where Archer was killed, 
Yeah. You know, like to be able to be in that spot where Archer was killed mm-hmm. and be like, you know, it didn't really happen, but it's uh, almost like this is the 1920s version of virtual reality. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> or augmented reality. So my journey started, my research journey started with finding out if the Maltese Falcon was a real thing. You Googled that. I Googled is Casper Gutman ticklish. So we're very different people. <laughs> so um, the statue is thought to be based on something called, and uh, if I butcher this, I'm sorry. Go for it. A Nipphausen hawk, which Ooh, is a serum. That dirty. Yeah. That sounds like a German porn. <laughs> it the Nipphausen hawk. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a ceremonial pouring vessel. Um, pouring vessel. Pouring vessel. So it was made for George William Van Niphausen around. Niphausen. Niphausen. It's a juice jug. It's a glorified <laughs> juice jug. Yeah. Around 1697. So he was the Count of the Holy Roman Empire. So that's where it came from. Is they're thinking that this is the this is what it was because it was so valuable. And that's where he kept his Kool Aid and things like that. Exactly. But he only likes the green kind. Mm-hmm. And mom exactly. never buys it. <laughs> no. Unfortunately. Who likes the green kind? People. You like the green kind. <laughs> People like it. <laughs> I like the red kind the most. I like the blue kind. I like to mix the green kind and red kind together and then feel like it's Christmas. Oh. Um. So this is like a real... So how did he find out about that? Like, how, why did he base it off that? Do you know? I'm a hundred percent sure because it's just kind of like but it's weird where did it come from i think it was just because you know how they have that whole story of like where the falcon came from yeah it sounds like that which i zoned out during. yeah right i was like i don't care so there was that and it okay was just, so like followed maybe a similar timeline to that yeah okay that's cool so there was that and then i was like okay cool and then i found that in a part of like it was actually talking about the movie and how the movie was so true to the book i watched some scenes from the movie seems very cool want to watch it didn't want it to taint my vision of the story before the podcast though we'll watch it later for sure taint (laughs) taint (laughs) you said taint i said taint and so basically the movie (laughs) taint um (laughs) For being like word nerds, we get stuck on dirty words quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the movie added a part, which I guess it was the forties. They think they're, they're like whatever. Humphrey Bogart actually suggested it, so it was like he has a falcon. And at he's the got end. Hump in his name, so you got to listen to him. <laughs> it's like Engelbert Humperdinck. Actually, Humphrey Bogart is probably the best name ever. Yeah. Like, it's actually the best name ever. Yeah. <laughs> you bogarted my water. No, this is mine. I thought that was mine. Anyway, um, so <laughs> I just wanted to use bogart. I, I, I did think, think of use it too. <laughs> but, um, okay. So basically, they're like, oh, what is it? And then he said, the stuff that dreams are made of. Wait, what? What is what? The falcon. When they oh, okay. when he's like going to turn it in or whatever. Oh, it's like the case. It's like the suitcase from Pulp Fiction. You don't know what that is because you've never seen Pulp Fiction. Um, now, I would shit on you for never having seen Pulp Fiction, but you've read like so many cool, awesome books. It's like you've had your time has been used properly. But just so you guys know, Carly has never seen any movies. 
She's watched one movie in her life, Homeward Bound. We She's want, watched it a million times. We want to gain followers through this, not lose followers. So if they've figured out that I haven't seen Pulp Fiction, they might they might compromise that. I think if we were doing a movie podcast, for sure, but a book <laughs> podcast, people are like, well, whatever. <laughs> um, but... She's never seen Pulp Fiction, but in Pulp Fiction, if you have seen it, you know that the suitcase that they cart around, it's never revealed what's in the suitcase. And it's kind of like a same sort of hunt for the suitcase. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end, when Quentin Tarantino was asked about it, he said the the suitcase is whatever you want it. Mm -hmm. What's in the suitcase is whatever you want to be in the suitcase. Mm -hmm. So it can be rock and roll. It can be your dreams. It can be gold. It can be money. Whatever means the most to you. Is what's in the suitcase. But then even with that could go the same with the Falcon because the Falcon's encased, right? So they don't know what it looks like. And that was that's why it was so easy to fake it because it was just like, oh, let's cover this in a bunch of shit so no one actually sees what it is. And you know what they say. And then you can only imagine, right? It's fake the, it until you make it. Yeah. Mother Teresa. <laughs> it's the greed again because it's like, oh, what's, you know, what's under there? What's going on, you know? And that's... Another quote, actually. What's under there? What's going on? <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> exactly. So that's, that started me on my journey was the with the Falcon and now this. And then I was going a little harder and I found a, a passage that isn't in the movie that everyone who's read the book is kind of like, what the fuck? does this mean because it just seems so misplaced it's super weird the passage she's talking about when you're reading the book i didn't know about it until she brought it up to me just before the podcast it's like it, even when you're watching or reading the book you're like what am i reading where is this coming from yeah because it makes no sense for the character to say it mm-hmm. it literally does not tie into the book at all it just makes zero sense it's super weird but it, it doesn't it like it doesn't it doesn't we should say the passage. once it's in intru- okay do you want me to read the whole thing well, like, let's just describe it to them. Okay. So, basically, this guy named Flitcraft. I almost I almost called him Flitwick because Harry Potter. Nice. Um, he, goes, he goes missing. And his wife, like, spade. Well, he doesn't really go. Okay. We'll just, whatever. Anyway. So, this guy named Flitcraft. We'll start with his story because what the hell. Um gets hit with a beam on his way to whatever i think it was a golf game or something yeah so essentially he's like this pretty successful guy and he gets clunked in the head he almost gets clunked in the head with a beam it doesn't hit him it lands near him right okay it falls on the sidewalk near him it falls off a building that they're doing construction on and he's like holy shit i almost died this is crazy and then he decides from that, as you do, when you almost have a near-death experience, he abandons his wife and his child. And he goes to another state or whatever and just starts fresh, just disappears and starts fresh, starts a new life, starts living this new lavish lifestyle, ends up meeting another girl, ends up having another kid, basically has the exact same life that he just up and left. Mm-hmm. And his wife never got closure. She never was able to find him. People had told her that they thought that they spotted him in another state and stuff so sam spade was hired to hunt him down and he eventually did find him Mm. and he lays out the story to bridget o'shaughnessy in full vulnerable detail which if you're reading this book it it doesn't fit in because spade is the exact opposite of me 
Like, he's the exact opposite human being of me. He doesn't need to talk about things. He doesn't need closure emotionally. He's not like... like I'm the type of person that if I was in this story, I'd have to convince everybody I talked to, I didn't kill Archer. You know that, right? Like, he was my partner. I didn't kill him. But mm-hmm. he's just like, sure, I killed him. If you want to believe that, you can believe that. Yeah. He's that type of decisive guy. So it's mm-hmm. like... It's it's inter- it's a, such a weird vulnerable moment for him where he sits down and like just talks about the story that affected him emotionally mm-hmm. because this is a guy who literally just got compared to satan he has yellow fucking eyes for some reason he's a demon human and it's weird and he has no emotions yeah so there's that so it's just kind of like everybody's like why is this even in the book and um so there's a couple of reasons like I found it was it was really helpful. I found this page called 20 writers and this guy basically summed up every possible explanation as to why this exists and like what this could possibly mean. And um so at first he was th- he was saying, "Okay, so basically the long and short of it that people think is what's going on is he expects her to lie to him again because she has and she keeps doing it so he's indirectly telling her that he knows that she's gonna keep lying to him so she's not no matter what she's not gonna change her path regardless of whether you know the beam does or doesn't fall on her she's not gonna change the way that she is and maybe even overarching it just to expand that to more characters maybe nobody can change is what he's saying maybe not even he can change mm-hmm. and if you see him at the end where he's callous and emotionless and just kind of like sells her out for a crime that she committed which i think Mm -hmm. is the right move Mm -hmm. but he sells her out for a crime that she committed somebody and he doesn't fall victim to her and he he cuts himself off emotionally he can't even change from that so like i I do think that makes sense like it's it's if you apply to every character nobody does grow or change really Mm -hmm. in this story which is the whole point of a book right where's the character's development how do they grow what happens Mm-hmm. But nobody in the story does. No, definitely not. It's just very short. So basically when you unpack that. Average. Hmm? Average. average. <laughs> basically, it's average. Everybody's basically- stories are this long. <laughs> Everybody's stories are this long. You have unrealistic expectations of stories just because Harry Potter came out and it's gigantic. Everybody's stories are this long. Average size story. Average size story. Um, and it so, doesn't end too quickly either. That <laughs> never happens. So, <laughs> okay, are you, are you good? I need a minute. Okay, take a breath. Okay, you got this. I think so. Average story. Thank you. Average story. Average six-inch story. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the stats. <laughs> <laughs> so. When we unpack it, the book, (laughs) as we discussed, the book is written in the third person. Mm. So we don't know. We're not following Spade. We're following the narrator who's pretty close, getting things, nailing things pretty much well on the head. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Nailing things on the head. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just the, just the head. Um, So, we don't really know, like, at what point he's realizing that these things are happening. Yeah. We don't know when he's figured out that she's killed Archer. 
Yeah, he plays his cards pretty close to his chest. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, we don't know when he's like, oh, shit, she killed Archer. They even withhold the information from you mm-hmm. for dramatic effect. Yeah. So when Archer does die, they withhold that from you for a bit and then reveal that it was Archer's body. Mm-hmm. So the narrator is a filthy trickster. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like the narrator's like the buddy that covers that. Like he's covering up the fact that, you know, Spade knows when, like knew what the point when he knew that he, that, sorry, wow. The point that Spade knew that Bridget killed Archer. He's withholding the fact that he's also having sex with Archer's wife. Yeah. It's like, shh, don't tell anyone, man. You it's kind of like the guy who like knows everything because he always hangs out at the bar, mm-hmm. but he can spin really good stories. Yeah, he's yeah. that guy. Yeah, so basically he's probably got it figured out. Same way, he, like he, he knew he was going to find, he knew exactly he when he went set out to go find this Flitcraft guy, he knew he was going to find him. Yeah, it, but at the same time, it does feel like he's a couple steps ahead but also flies by the seat of his pants. Yeah. Like, it does seem like sometimes he really does not expect things to happen and yeah. just improvises. Uh, or he's like, let's see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. I know this, but let's see how long I can take before it's like, you know what? Now's probably the time to say this. And there's also times where I feel like he doesn't know something, but pretends that he did just to kind of yeah. keep them guessing about what he knows. Plus, we'll think he knows because we... we, we want to well that's the thing the devil's charming we want to trust him he's not a very nice person but yeah. you know so we'll be like oh yeah this guy knows what he's doing let's hop on his bandwagon <laughs> okay so we're unpacking this and then there's also um a part where Spade, like, this is, this is, these are my words. Um, so it's a personal credo that he's basically like, you know, when a man's partner's killed, he's supposed to do something about it. It yeah. doesn't make any difference what you thought of him. So blah, he blah, kind blah. of like, disp- at the end, once he confronts Bridget about having killed Miles, she is like, you didn't even like him. Yeah. He's like, it's not about that. It's about the loyalty to your partner. Exactly. He's like, this is what you do. When exactly. when your partner dies and you're a detective, you do it. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that was kind of sweet. Like, he, he, you know, adheres to this higher code. And he goes, because if you didn't find the guy who killed your partner, it'd be bad for business. And you're like, oh, there he is. Yeah, exactly. All right, there he is, the sociopath. It's coming back in where he's like, not sociopath, but narcissistic mm-hmm. tendency of like, well, it'd be bad for my business if I didn't. So yeah. it's like. It's it's weird because it seems like it's this code of ethics at first, and then it's like, oh, this guy's trying to save face, trying mm-hmm. to save Satan face. Yeah, exactly. So there's that part, and then I mean, even even there's a quote in the book where the one of them says like, they're, they're, you don't, we never know what you're gonna do next, but it's going to be something astonishing. Yeah, Gutman says that to him. Yeah. So yeah. there's that as well that it's like everybody kind of knows that it. it's like oh shit he's got us. What do you think Gutman's laugh sounds like? Uh, it's a, probably a guttural laugh. No, I like to think it's more like. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's why I pictured him like rosy cheeked, like fat. Like, <laughs> so you're picturing him like I'm picturing him more of like a uh, Nintendo character, oh. and you're picturing him more of like a mentally challenged person. No mentally challenged that's what that laugh sounded like, like. john goodman <laughs> let's hear your john goodman laugh one more time 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm not a man. I don't have balls. I can't laugh like a man. That was it. Just, just want to hear it again. My <laughs> okay. Next possibility. So this is goes around Archer's murder. This is the guy has gone back and he's like, wait a minute, something's bugging me. He's Columboed a little bit. And um basically it's like Archer's murder happens and then it's kind of forgotten about for a while. And then it's like, oh yeah, here's that loose end that we forgot to tie up. Don't worry, we've been thinking about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because chapter two is when the murder happens. Chapter seven is when the parable is introduced. And then at the end, he finally gets her to confess. So, basically, the theory here, this is part two of the, the Flitcraft parable unpacking. Mm-hmm. Um it's basically that he's like kind of getting it into her. Sorry, that's a little getting <laughs> a bad, bad way to say yeah, it. We'll call it up. That it's like, <laughs> I know you've done it. This is your chance to kind of like tell me what's going on. Like, you know, I'll take it easy on you. I understand kind of thing. Yeah. Because, you know, like it's kind of to give her a chance to be like, okay, I fucked up. I did it. So, so at the time of him telling her the parable, mm-hmm. the Flitcraft parable, he's giving her an out to basically confess her crime. Yeah, that's another thing. And then saying that she can start a new life based on that. Like, that's like, it's not the end. You can start a new life. Anybody yeah. can start over. Yeah. Is that what he's trying to say? Yeah. Like, I agree with the first one more. I think mm-hmm. it's that nobody can change. Because the way he kind of tells the parable, like, I think that's an interesting theory. And I think whoever mm-hmm. came up with it is super smart and they probably mm-hmm. thought about it a lot yeah but um to me the reason i agree with the first theory more is because of the way that he relays the parable mm-hmm. it's kind of like this like tongue-in-cheek like nobody can change though yeah <laughs> <laughs> nobody can change nobody can change mm-hmm. everybody's out here yeah. trying to get this goddamn maltese falcon mm-hmm. yeah yeah no, that's fair. That's just kind of a go around it to be like, okay, that makes sense. And I ain't going to play the sap. <laughs> there's also a pretty interesting thing about the story that I want to add because it's it's cool because when I was doing the research for this, it, I just found it to be super interesting. So the story, the guy changes his name to Charles Pierce, I believe it is. The Flitcraft changes his name to Charles Pierce. Okay. And um, let me pull this up here. So he changes his name, who's actually a real philosopher. Oh, wow. Charles, yeah, but it's pronounced Purse. So Charles <laughs> Purse. I think I made fun of for that. Now, Charles. Your name's Purse? <laughs> what are you, a woman or something? <laughs> So Peirce is actually what he what his what his philosophy contained and discussed was the relationship between doubt, belief, and truth. Wow. Yeah. So he and he was also fascinated with the aspect of randomness and how it shaped a story. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can see how all the elements of the of the Flitcraft parable tie together with yeah. the, with his theories with his exactly. Main so it's interesting that it's just like one of those educated pokes to be like, hey, 
Check this guy out. It's always cool when you look something like that up and it mm-hmm. ties together like that and you know that the author put like thought into it mm-hmm. and worked at crafting it. Like it was like it was a very precise, deliberate thing. Yeah. There's a word for it that I forget now, but um, it's like an intertext situation because it's like, okay, it's a callback to previous a previous thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, books do it a lot. It, authors talk to each other through books sometimes. That's a thing that they like to do. Okay. So, especially it in a critical It seems like way. a hard, like they could just send text messages or like an email. <laughs> but they're like, we'll get this published for 20,000 books. Yeah. To speak to you again, Charles. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's that's the, uh, that's the flick craft parable and um how it played in and it was just an interesting little pathway of how i found it because it was just kind of like hmm i was like going really small here with like is the falcon real and then it turned into this so that was your version of the maltese falcon you started off just a regular day in the office just drinking your cup of joe and your rolled cigarette with your little satan v face and you were like today's gonna be a good day can't wait to put some bourbon in my coffee and just get through it. And then mm-hmm. this woman walks in and everything erupts and then the, 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 everything's going crazy and your partner dies and you've got a, two guys attacking you and yeah. then Gutman going crazy and offering you money and people offering you money but trying to kill you at the same time. It's this whole confusing, mm-hmm. crazy, maybe his is a little more extreme, but just a little. But you, that's basically your version of the Maltese Falcon. Oh, yeah. Because it just, yeah, it started with the Falcon and it ended with this. Yeah. Is how it started and ended. And Isn't that how life goes? One day you're walking down the street, the next, a Maltese Falcon's falling and almost hitting you in the head. Fun fact. Like, I'm going to abandon my family now. Fun fact, actually, um, that I found out. Someone, there was like a, sh- like a little like throw away kind of like mention to this guy, like a restaurant mm-hmm. in the book. The owner of that of said restaurant purchased the movie prop of the Falcon, and it was stolen. Oh my god! I hope it was stolen by like people who looked exactly like the characters. <laughs> yeah, like, it was John's. John's restaurant. Yeah, John's. I think that it was, was a John's filming Diner. location. No, it was in the like it's in the book. Like they talk about it in the book. Oh, and then the owner of that restaurant was like bought it from the movie though yeah like the movie prop that's mm. cool yeah and somebody stole it really yeah it's the best way it could have happened though right it's the best way it could have went down <laughs> yeah. i'm on the case yeah. i've got nothing to do <laughs> nobody's hired me ever since the Maltese falcon incident hit the papers <laughs> i am very bored i have rolled many a cigarettes and had zero calls yep that's i had to fire effie <laughs> it was tragic Poor effie. <laughs> Effie was like the brains behind the whole thing. He's taking his own calls like. (laughs) (laughs) Good afternoon, Spade and Spade. How can I help you? They're like, yeah, can can I talk to Sam Spade? Yes, just one moment. Thanks, Effie. (laughs) Hi, Sam Spade speaking. How can I help you? (laughs) I lost a shoe and... uh, Stop with these goddamn prank calls! <laughs> Meanwhile, Effie went off to solve the murder of JFK. 
Yeah. She's yeah. like, oh, this Bruder film's kind of weird, right? Like his head looks like it's leaning back, but it's actually going forward. There's some weird shit going on here. And then she takes her sunburnt face and fucking <laughs> <laughs> goes and <laughs> tracks down Lee Harvey Oswald and puts him in a joke called. Yeah. Uh, Thursby shoots him. Mm-hmm. It's all a thing. Yeah. It happened. Spade and spade, how can I help you? <laughs> um, yeah, could you get your own head out of your ass, please? <laughs> okay, I've had enough of these crank calls. I'm getting real sick of it. <laughs> You're clearly the same person as your secretary. No, I'm not. We have the same voice. This is a weird mystery. We all smoke here. We smoke a lot of unrolled or unfiltered cigarettes. <laughs> everybody in the book now i'm gonna read the book and everyone's gonna sound like that if he doesn't sound like that this book is bullshit like that would be the the highest realm of disbelief for me (laughs) because all he does is drink coffee with bourbon in it and smoke unrolled cigarettes and eat just the grossest shit Mm -hmm. all throughout the book it's like then they went to a diner and had pig's feet and you're like that's disgusting it's like then he smeared bratwurst corned beef all over his little (laughs) like like, it's fucking gross (laughs) they eat like shit i'm wondering what archer looks like oh yeah (laughs) like for someone to be like this guy's better than my husband yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and Bridget, like, come on. Bane Spade, how can I help you? Iva, stop calling here. I told you. I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's, uh, but that guy definitely was giving toilets mouthfuls. Oh, please don't say that. Oh, he was. Like, it all was even, he... probably even worse back then. Oh, for sure. The, t- the toilet paper was on like a roll. Like, why does this thing constantly get clogged? Like one of those I don't t- understand. It was on like one of those towel rolls. So it's like <laughs> everybody's using it. Yeah. I, that's how I imagine shitting in the 20s. I don't know if that's actually. I'm sure it wasn't elegant. Yeah. I'm sure it was not elegant. Why does everything come back to poop? I have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Poop and sex. Yeah. Which is kind of like where the idea of the podcast name came in like although we were recording it sans pants mm-hmm. it's also like we're gonna be talking about some serious literary works but i'm a comedian i'm gonna be making i'm a i'm a bad i'm a not good comedian i'm gonna be making dick jokes i'm gonna be making fart jokes i'm gonna be making shit jokes mm-hmm. so that was kind of where the name the idea for the name came at least where like you know a lot about literary works you for a living you literally read and i'm like i make poopy jokes <laughs> and so. pretend to be sam spade sam spade here sam spade yeah even just the name spade it's great it's like it's like one of those <laughs> things you can stab people with or like a playing card or like a playing card yeah. i know you never know which card you're going to get no, for sure. But yeah, so there's that. It's amazing. So you liked it? I fucking loved it, and I think I'm gonna read more. That's good. I think I'm gonna get more. Like the the detective noir series, I'm in. I'm yeah. getting in. Yeah, I love. I love it. It's so interesting. And horror for me right now, like I'm a huge diehard horror fan. But I don't know. I'm going through something right now where I'm like. I don't want to be like super depressed all the time. So I don't want to read about serial killers and like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to read about like 
murders and like terrible things right now. I, I just want to read right now. I'm kind of into nonfiction, so I think any fiction that I do dip into in the next little while is going to be Detective Noir because oh, it, yeah. it was such a fun book to read, and it's like this weird mystery, and it has like a good twist on the end of it, and it's like yeah. this really cool story. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, I was so happy you recommended it to you me. You get the murder without the guilt. Exactly. Well, it's like, a, because for me, and you know this about me, but people listening know, I'm obsessed with, like, law enforcement. Yeah. So, like, I think the coolest thing in the world is law enforcement. So, I like, I like stories more about the detectives, more about the cops than, like, when I read serial killer books, people are like, oh, I'm fascinated by the serial killer. I'm like, I think the serial killer is a piece of shit. I want to know about the detective who found him and how he found him and what forensic evidence he used and stuff like that. Yeah. So, in terms of, like, you know, fiction and stuff, this is, like, a perfect book for me right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just satiating the need for that. Yeah. It's, I loved it. I was so happy you recommended it to me. Way better than my friend Tomer. We saw My Friend Dahmer. I haven't read the graphic novel, but we saw My Friend Dahmer in theaters, and it was so depressing. Oh, man. It was like, I tried to come up with a really clever, like, because it was very Napoleon Dynamite-esque. That was actually hilarious. If you guys have seen the movie, when we were leaving, she was like, that was Napoleon Dynamite with murder. (laughs) I was like, that's the best way to describe that movie. Even at the beginning. He's on the bus, and it's just like, eh. Yeah. Like Dahmer's weird. It's like, shut up, bro. Cut your head off and fuck it. Hey, Dahmer, give me some of your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, freak off, or I'll turn you into a sex zombie and fuck you. <laughs> I mean, that was really sad, but yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah, it was kind of weird. It was What's like the llama's name, the llama Tina. Frick off, Tina, or I'll melt you in a vat of acid and play with your bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's no, like, it's... it is Napoleon Dynamite. And it's, I don't know, I go through this whole thing about it where it's like, are we glorifying serial killers too much? Like, we're making, I know we've always made movies about them and stuff, and there's always been books about them. Books always seem different to me than a movie. Because in a movie, it's almost like you're like glorifying it, like this is cool. But in a book, it's just like they can lay out the facts for you, and it, yeah. for some reason, it feels more academic. Yeah. But when you're watching a movie, it feels more like unless it's a documentary. When you're watching a movie, it feels more. I think that's my problem with it is that it's a bio, it's a biographical movie. It feels more glor like a glorification, like mm-hmm. oh, this is one of the guys who would be on the route, Mount Rushmore of serial killers. Yeah. So like that kind of weighed me out, but also just the 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 storyline for the next for the like for a couple days after I felt depressed. Yeah. After watching that movie, like me those, too. it was like bleak and uh, yeah, a couple scenes kept sticking out in my head, like the scene where he smashes the jar. Of, like, the acid. Like, uh-huh. he puts cats in fucking jars. Melts their flesh so he can play with their bones. Like, that's something Jeffrey Dummer did. And we're not spoiling. This isn't a spoil. This actually happened. No, I feel like <laughs> you can't spoil it because it takes place of real events that actually happened. Yeah, so sure. it's like, if you know... I feel like if you're going to see the movie, you probably you're gonna know, know the story anyway. On, yeah. Like, we both knew the story going oh, in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, we, throughout the movie, would be like, oh, this is the part where he does that. And, uh... uh so... That part stuck out with me when he smashes the thing, and then he uh, there's another part where it just shows this glimpse of his fantasy of him cuddling with a dead body on oh, his yeah. bed. Oh yeah, it was like the yeah. Like, Holy shit! And then 
I didn't feel bad for him throughout it. It's like, I guess he had a bit of a tumultuous childhood. It doesn't seem as bad as like what I've heard of other serial killers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I felt bad for like, I guess like, I guess in, in some ways it solicits some sort of sympathy when he's getting bullied and shit at school. But other than that, it was like, oh, this guy's a monster. Like you need yeah. to always sort of remind yourself of that when you're watching things like that. Like. Mm-hmm. this guy is a fucking monster like he took people's lives like yeah and people are i don't know i see people walk around with t-shirts and stuff like you know bundy is my homeboy and stuff it's like oh my the fucking people actually died yeah like i don't want to lose a sense of morality or a sense of respect in a way of like because when you start to like wear charles manson on t- like charles manson died i don't care good he fucking convinced other people to murder tons of people super brutally mm-hmm. so it's like what you you start to like desensitize yourself to that when you see people wearing t-shirts and looking at these people like the rock icons like you're yeah. wearing a ted bundy shirt are you a fan of his work yeah like that's fucking psychotic yeah it's weird how everything can have like a fangirl base to it like you know paul bernardo had a prison pen pal that he was engaged to i don't even know what happened with that but and, you know, even Charles Manson, like, he got all, he got super pissed and ousted this girl because she was trying to marry him to get his body when he died. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just like, it's a whole messed up thing. And, uh, you know, I do have a Carl Panzram book and stuff that I, I might dip into. Maybe we'll, t- maybe I'll talk about that on the podcast a bit. I don't want to yeah. get too much into the serial killer stuff. It's like, no. it's kind of depressing and like, I like to read just to enjoy it. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that, but. My Friend Dahmer yeah. is a good movie and it definitely like stuck out with me. And I think if you look at it from a certain perspective, you'll feel this. I feel like most people would look at it from the same perspective as us, where it was disturbing and you yeah. know they don't glorify them, but it's just like a small subsect of people that do. And I think it's very fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, we got to get going. Um, super fun episode. I was so happy that you introduced that book to me. Yeah. Thank you. I love you so much. You're an angel. <laughs> and uh, you look beautiful right now, by the way. I love you too. And thank you. And, um, um, but yeah, stick to stick to Maltese Falcon instead of reading serial killer shit. It really helps. Dip in every once in a while, but don't yeah. get too into it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Pantless Pros. You can follow us on Twitter at Pantless Pros. You can follow Carly on Instagram at Mount.CarlMore. And you can follow me at Jordan is Genius. Uh, thank you all. We love you. Thanks for listening. Uh, stay fresh. And stop crank calling me! <laughs>